Welcome to the Scan On Podcast, your weekly look at the world of film news, Irish International. I'm your host, Darren May. Join me, are Ronan. And Roshi. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about what we normally do. We're going to talk about the top 10, the new releases, and the week in film news. But given that this is the week following the Galway Film Flaw, uh-huh. and given that we may or may not have managed to record a podcast while oh, we, we were down there, yeah, we I, I may, I no, may no, have no, picked no. that up. So what we might do, I thought it might be fun, because I know both our guests this week have actually been down at the Galway Film Flaw last week. So just sort of like to give a sense of like what you saw there, what you enjoyed, what you loved, what your highlights were. Although I suspect we won't be talking about one of those highlights until we hit the new releases. Indeed. But uh, So Roisin, uh Ronan, which one do you want to go first? Uh, I will hold off on some of the stuff <laughs> I saw there until uh, Jay is back with us because I know he'll want to discuss these things. We saw we saw a lot together while we were down there, so we spent a lot of time together and yet still didn't manage to record a podcast. We tried. It's there were like, films. Yeah, it happens. We're it professionals. Happens, there was pizza, there was beer. It was, it was all good. <laughs> uh, one of the things I saw that I quite liked was Bait, which I think we're getting uh, possibly later in the year, November. It's a UK film shot in uh, really grainy 16 mil stock about a little fishing village in Cornwall and it's really impressive the way it gets the tensions kind of milling in the UK at the moment um, the when was it made? Uh, this year. The, oh, because it's, it's relatively fresh it's sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. fresh bait huh? Eh, eh. Oh, too fine. much. Too much. Fine. Um, it is concerned with a, a fisherman and the uh, sort of richer people who are spending just a couple of weeks in in Cornwall. Um, the tensions between them, these sort of blow-ins, and the people who actually have to live in the land year round, has got some really, really sharp dialogue around that kind of stuff. The tone is a bit bewildering at times. It goes off and veers in strange ways. The comedy doesn't entirely fit with the sort of grainy black and white art house vibe it's going for. But I was generally pretty impressed with it. Uh, also saw lots of very good shorts. I dived in deep and caught something like 60 of the Irish ones. Uh, it was a tiring week. Uh, lots of very good stuff in there. Really impressed by uh, A White Horse was my pick. Uh, okay. A new one from Sean O'Connor. He had Mary at the festival uh, last year, which was similarly really good. He's turned up lots of great shorts in the last couple of years. A White Horse, uh, It's I don't want to say too much about it because it kind of... Um, a lot of it depends on the narrative surprise you get out of it, but okay. it gets at, in a very impressive way, the shameful ways we've treated people in the past in this country and the way uh, all too many of us have been bystanders. Um, I saw that one too. I thought it was incredibly impressive. And it was very relatable, uh, you know, having grown up in rural Ireland. Yeah. And it was, you know, hearing the legacy of those stories, you mm-hmm. know, it's only a couple of generations before it was so powerful. And it's a marvel that we're, you know, decades down the road, we're starting to unpack it now. Our filmmakers are doing a great job of that. There were loads of shorts of the fly in that vein last year. And again, it just continues through now. Um, really, really good to see those represented on screen. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, similarly, actually, in, the, in that same vein, in the same shorts program, um, there were nine new Irish short programs. I managed to catch eight of them. And this one uh, that A White Horse was in, I think it was the sixth batch, had the three favorites I think I had it was okay. an incredible so it was a pretty, pretty good uh, yeah. yeah there was also sort of, yeah. um, the ferry in there um, the uh, which listeners <laughs> cannot see but Roisin has also given a supportive thumbs up I don't want to interrupt it's no, actually no, no, absolutely yeah, I'm so glad it, this, that's the only shorts program I saw so I'm glad that oh, your three favourites were in there I also loved the ferry the ferry is 
great. It was really, really great. It, and it's got this amazing kind of mastery of tone that it's dealing with such dark subjects in our past with like great comp that the house was, t- you know, tearing with laughter. Absolutely, the- yeah. The the filmmaker Niall McKay, um, I don't. He's the director of Irish Screen America. So this is one of the first films I've seen of his. Um, yeah, likewise. My first scene is my- I'm so impressed. I read the 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 script a couple of years ago and I really really liked it and I'm, I'm it's so glad to see like they worked so hard on that film yeah. and I just thought it was fantastic and the three female leads were just wonderful they're really really incredible the dynamic is it's you know it's not an explicit comedy in many ways but by far I think for me possibly the funniest film of the <laughs> funniest short film of the festival and what was your third favourite from that programme? <laughs> uh, Aftermath was one I saw that uh, I liked very much. Uh, I can't remember the other director, but Grace Dias was one of the co-directors. Yeah. Oh, um, she's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really, really good, this one as well. Um, it's amazing to see the, possibly the three best all, mm. not back to back, but all in the same yeah. programme. That was a great programme of shorts. It really was. Yeah. And the the flow between them, the, mm-hmm. the kind of exchange of tones. So you really didn't get well. the short shrift then, no? Darren does this. I do this. It's the only thing I can contribute. <laughs> I wasn't actually in Galway. You contribute um, notes. Um, yeah, there were. Uh, I'll be doing a full piece for Skinon and all the shorts I saw there. My mind is teeming with them. There were an awful really. lot, but there, you know, there were lots and lots of great things to pick out that I'll uh, I'll be going through in that piece. Um, loads and loads of Varda stuff I saw. We'll go through that with Jay and possibly later on this very podcast. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Um, the only other thing uh, I saw that didn't have Jay on board for was uh, Before Stonewall, a uh, documentary from, I think, 1984 um, that is kind of included in the flat this year as part of the sort of 50th anniversary celebrations. And I hadn't seen this before. It's really funny. Yeah, it's great. Really funny it? and really sort of uh, accessible historical overview of the pre-Stonewall uh, gay rights movement. Um, I've been listening for the last couple of years to uh, Making Gay History, the podcast, uh, and this has a lot of overlap with all those people, so it's it's kind of great to see everything in one uh, overarching narrative under ninety minutes. I think it's, okay. a, it's a great summation. If you if you don't have any uh, knowledge of the period, or even if you do, it kind of it ties it up very well. Um, highly recommend that one, and it should be more accessible this year, I think, because of the sort of fiftieth anniversary. Hmm. Absolutely, yeah, it's a great documentary. Cool. And Rushing, what were your highlights? Uh, apart from the ones we've discussed, I know that Ronan <laughs> has very greedily hoarded the three best shorts of the Galway Film Club. Just our to make it. I actually feel terrible about this because I had wanted to settle into a week of Varda, you know, going down to the flat. But I have to be honest and say that I spent most of my time there in meetings, which is just. What was your favourite meeting? Um, and were there three arranged back to back? What was the best slate? Um, so many incredible meetings. Um, I did catch that shorts program, and I was so impressed with. You know, I didn't. I thought they were all fantastic shorts, and I like. I really thought they were really brilliant. The only other thing I caught was Animals, the new Sophie Hyde film which screened on Saturday night and it oh. was just the perfect Saturday night oh, film. Oh, good. Um, I, I loved it, mm-hmm. but I am completely the demographic <laughs> for this film um, about, uh, you know, women living in Dublin in their early 30s who haven't quite figured out life <laughs> and love going on the set. Um, it, I just, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was very playful and um, it uh, it was a nice Saturday night watch. I don't know if you caught that one, did you? No, I didn't manage to catch yeah. that one. There was well, pretty I, good buzz around the, around the flag. Yeah, I think and Sophie Hyde its previous film actually 52 Tuesdays Closed Gays oh, um, yes, yeah. I think it was six years ago but 
because it was the year before I started working mm-hmm. at the festival. So oh, it was great to see her work screening again back in Ireland. Nice. All right, then. Uh, I think that sort of wraps it up then in terms of stuff we watched this week. Let's move on to the week in film news. Um, so the big news of the week, actually, um, and the reason why this may be a slightly bridge podcast compared to some of our mm-hmm. more lengthier digressions, the Dublin Feminist Film Festival 2019 uh, is launching its program this evening, uh, celebrating the work and particularly celebrating the work of Irish film directors. Uh, it'll be running from Thursday 22nd to Saturday 24th of August. And it's hoping to take a look at some of the best, uh, Ireland's best female talent, including uh, Kirsten Sheridan, Aoife McArdle, uh, Una Kearney, uh, Louise Bagnell, and Claire Dix, uh, it, which is a pretty impressive lineup. It's the sixth year uh, of the festival as well. And their sort of program, which will be available online, but just in terms of some some highlights there, they're screening like Disco Pigs. Uh, they're, screaming, uh, they're screening the We Are Moving, The Memories of Miss Moriarty, directed by Claire Dix, which is an intimate portrayal of Joan Denise Moriarty. Uh, which covers from her, the 1940s until her death in 1992. She fought to bring ballet to all corners of Ireland. Uh, Kissing Candice from the Dublin Film Festival a couple of years back will be screening as well on the Friday evening. Um, and yes, there's, it's a wonderful program as well. Um, there's a launch taking place this evening, which we're yeah, very, so very we'll, we'll kind of get the full details, but really nice to see the, from the kind of excerpts we've got released so far that sort of retrospective focus, because I think as great it is to highlight the work of uh, Irish women working in film now, there is a sort of rich history that hasn't got its fair due that it's, yeah. it's great to bring forward. So I'm um, really looking forward to seeing the full slate. Yeah. Um, and in terms of other news, actually, uh, we invited Roshin on um, to talk a little bit about the Gays Film Festival, actually, which is coming up as well later. Uh, it's, a full, it's only a couple of weeks away. Yes, opening night is this day, two weeks. No pressure. Yes, no pressure <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, we've talked a bit about this on the podcast before. I think Ronan mm-hmm. went to the launch a couple of weeks ago and described it as the one of the best festival launches that he has ever been at. So oh. no pressure to follow that there. That means so much to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in that little booklet there. No, I genuinely mean every word of it that this uh, program lineup is spectacular and I found it incredibly difficult and damn you making me have to pick between <laughs> oh. these things. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so, Roshan, if you want to talk a little bit about the festival or even just point out some highlights for listeners, things that you'd like to draw attention to or, or anything. Okay, um, well... Just to to begin, I, I like it really does mean a lot to me that, that you would say that about the program. It's going to be my final one. This will be my fifth year f- programming the fest the festival. So next year I'm going to step aside and give one else some someone else a shot. But um, I really want to um thank um Sean McGovern, uh, who is the assistant programmer at the festival this year. This is the first year since I've been working with gays that um, we've had an assistant programmer. And I think his voice really shines through in the programme. And he was so incredibly helpful and such an asset to, to me and more widely to the festival. And it makes such a huge difference to be able to bounce ideas off someone and to be able to speak so candidly about film and actually with someone who's as passionate about it as you are. So um got to give him a little plug before I start <laughs> talking about the programme. Um, but there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot in there, I think, you know, we have our usual, we have a lot of shorts programs in there. And as always, the Irish shorts, the Irish shorts program is probably my highlight of the festival because every year I do get, you know, the butterflies that will there be enough? Like we all know that there are so many incredible Irish filmmakers out there, but every year I still do think, oh, will there be enough, you know, LGBT queer short content to fill mm-hmm. a program? And you know, every year there has been, so I don't know why I worry about it. But this year, there's another amazing crop of, of short film in there. And what I'm really delighted about is half of the programme is Northern Irish film. 
which really means a lot to me uh, uh, personally. And I like I think it's very important for the festival as well. Last year we hel- held um, a discussion um an activist discussion called The North is Next, mm-hmm. which was about how um, activists in the Republic and Northern Ireland can work together to help to achieve um, marriage equality and abortion rights in Northern Ireland. And um, Phenomenal you, news recently. On yeah, that exa- well, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, we're screening uh, a short film called Equal um, in the Irish yeah. Shorts Programme, which is about uh, the fight for marriage equality in Northern Ireland. So that'll be closing out our programme. Um, I, I saw this at Irish the flat shorts. and it's, uh, it's lovely to watch it yeah. in this context of Isn't knowing it? that the aims have been further advanced mm-hmm. since because it's, you know, it, it details very well that kind of hard-won struggle yeah. and and so to watch it knowing that uh, the people uh, beautifully portrayed in it have had better news since. It's 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 lovely. It really adds a nice edge to yeah. it. So it's so, seeing f- the case it's so be, fantastic. Be uh, we have, you know, we have another couple of films uh funded by Northern Ireland Screen actually in the programme called uh, Mergelt which is kind of a fairy tale about um, mermaids which is quite interesting and Becoming Cherry which is about a really um, interesting drag performer called Cherry in Belfast who um, talks about it's about them living with um, HIV Mm -hmm. in, in Northern Ireland and Obviously, there's a great selection of films from the Republic um, as well, um, including Boardwalk from Finney and Robbins, uh, Boy Saint from uh, Tom Spears. Boy Saint, I've been beating the drum of. Oh, on this Boy podcast Saint is incredible. Ever, it's, yeah. it's spectacular, and I think it's, it's, it's possibly the best yeah. Irish film of any length made yeah. for some time. Oh, in, absolutely, in and it's it's you know it's screened on a lot of festivals, and it's we're so delighted to be able to screen it again at Gaze. Um, and I also would like to um, speak a little bit about um, the directorial debut from Katie McNeese um, oh. called In Orbit, which just screened at the Galway Film Flat as I well. And there was it's a lot of buzz around it. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the ambition. It's such an ambitious project. It's this sh- beautifully contained uh, sci-fi short that mm-hmm. uh, like I didn't expect it, to see anything like world? that in, <laughs> in several ways. Okay. Um, I didn't expect to see anything that had that sort of scope. No, you know, obviously short films are capable of this kind mm-hmm. of thing, but it's it surprised me. Yeah, a lot. I know. And for for her debut, it's just like there's such vision there, and she's actually a former volunteer of the festival. That's amazing. And it's just so amazing to see her come back with her her short film to gaze. Mm-hmm. And so it it really means a lot to us. So volunteer for gaze, yeah. folks. Yes, <laughs> this is the first step. Uh, when is the shorts program on? Actually, if people are looking to book tickets. Yes. So the Irish shorts program is screening on. Sunday the 4th nice. of August at 6.30pm in oh, the Lighthouse. Cool. So um, the majority of the programme is at the, the Lighthouse Cinema but we're delighted this year that we're going to be presenting a number of programmes at the Irish Film Institute as oh. well. So um, for quite a number of years now the entire programme has been in the Lighthouse so I think it's important to tell people that there are some offerings in, yeah, in, the, in the Irish Film Institute as well yeah. um, including we're doing a youth screening with Belong To um, of Handsome Devil with uh, John Butler in attendance which oh, we're, we're thrilled I actually about. really liked I really really liked Handsome Devil yes. it's a wonderfully oh, charming movie isn't so, it? Yeah, so charming so feel good it's just wonderful um, we're doing a 100th anniversary screening of Different From The Others which is an early Weimar film which is um, a century old this year and it um, is I think it is like the earliest known depiction of um, 
of gay love on, on screen. Oh. Yeah. So it's really exciting. And we're going to have a live accompaniment and um, piano at that film. That's, summit. that's yeah. a real highlight of the program, I think, yes. because uh, I, I haven't seen it and I cannot wait to, because it's, it's a miracle that it even exists. The, the is, Nazis yeah. did their best to eradicate yeah. all this sort of stuff from the Weimar era. So yeah, the fact that we have it to begin with is incredible. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've never seen it on the big screen either. So I'm really excited. <laughs> And we're also doing a screening of My Beautiful Laundrette at the uh, IFI as well, which is um, our festival screen, our festival friends screening. So we have like really, really supportive friends of the festival at Gaze. And this year we decided to bring in a new initiative where they would program a film. Um, from a long oh, list. Okay. Yeah, so, so they, it's actually chosen by chosen by the friends of the festival. That's great. So they, you know, they they were given a, given a long list, um, and they chose my beautiful laundrette. I'm so thrilled. Nice. I've I've wanted an excuse to screen it for the past <laughs> few years at the festival, and I'm so glad that we're fi- we finally have the opportunity to do it in my in my last year. So um, that's our offering for at the Irish Film Institute. I haven't even talked about any of the new features. <laughs> just, of the, the classic, the retrospective. But when are when are those on? Actually, if listeners are wanting. To go and yeah, see sure. like um, the the live accompaniment, or if they want to go and see uh, my beautiful Andrea, when are those on? Actually, so um, handsome devil is screening on Friday at one p.m. Friday the second of August okay. at one p.m. Um, Different from the others is screening Sunday the 4th at 1.15pm and My Beautiful Laundrette is Monday the 5th at 1.15pm. Very Ooh. proud that I remember that whole Just schedule. Like, like, literally <laughs> off the top of her head. Like, yeah, um, this is very, this is much more impressive like watching it in person than on the, you know, the Cross Radio. There is no sheet. There is no sheet. Um, but yeah, sorry, in terms of new stuff then, because you're, you're right, a lot of, that's a really, long, that's a lot of really great sort of classic material. Mm-hmm. But like, what are, what are you presenting sort of for the first time or sort of debuting or what, what, what to get excited about seeing with fresh eyes oh there's so much um there's a lot of documentary and narrative feature offerings um i suppose i should probably point to our opening night film deep in vogue um uh which is um a look at the manchester uh drag ball scene which you know was really an ode to films like paris is burning kind of you know uh, taken into the 21st century in manchester so i think it's really interesting and we're delighted to be able to screen a film like this because I think that there's a lot of, you know, rather than it being like the London scene, I think the Manchester scene really uh, relates much more heavily to, to Dublin, you know, because yeah, Northerners in, in, in England are, they have a lot, I not to generalise, but well, they probably have a lot more similarities to Irish there's people. There's also probably a stronger yes, immigrant population. Absolutely. Sort of there's a there huge as well, Irish community there. Yeah. So um, it's great fun. It's intersectional. It's it's just, it's everything we want an opening night film to be. And um, some of the performers from the documentary um, are going to be performing in advance wow, of that's the screening great. on opening night. And yeah. the directors will be in, in attendance nice. as well. Gaze always puts on a good party. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, although we can't, you know, party too heavily that night. It's only, it's <laughs> yeah, only the, the rest of the festival is following. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly can't anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, we're also, our closing night film this year is JT Leroy, um, which is the new film from Justin Kelly, whose previous films are King Cobra and I Am Michael, which um, he's kind of a protege of Gus Van Sant and had worked previously on Milk and um, a number of, of Gus Van Sant's other films, okay. I believe. But um, he has been quite a heavy hitter of, of the LGBT film circuit for quite a number of years. So it's great to be able to bring his new feature to close out the festival nice. this year. Um, starring um, Kristen Stewart, Laura Dern, 
Byrne, Diane Kruger, uh, great cameo in there by Courtney Love. It's <laughs> it's, quite a lineup. I don't know yeah. if you know the JT Leroy story. There was, I do um, not. They're, they call it like the greatest literary hoax of a generation. And there was a documentary made about the about JT Leroy, mm-hmm. um, I think maybe three years ago, um, called Author. Did you see it, Ronan? No. No, basically, I don't want to give too much away, uh, which I probably will if I say anything. <laughs> okay. Literary <laughs> Just hoax, go to see it. Great cast. Wonderful director worth watching. Yes. Go see it. It's basically the message that we're sort That's of taking it. away here. Um, and in terms of anything else, sort of sprinkling there, any hidden gems you'd like to draw attention to her? Um... Well, not to go back to the retrospective program. <laughs> there really is a, a very strong pull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really is. Um, delighted this year to be screening. Um, we're doing two programs called uh, Remembering Queer Trailblazers, and we're doing one around Barbara Hammer, okay. who uh, was like uh, who like passed away this year. But she was she was an incredible video artist, um, experimental filmmaker who was hugely influ- influential for. Uh, you know, for lesbian filmmakers and for the LGBT community in general. So we, I was familiar with um, a lot of her more famous work, mm-hmm. but I was so excited and delighted to be able to go back into her entire back catalogue oh, and curate a programme um, from, like, I, I think I saw every one of her wow. shorts. How, how many are there in the, in the programme? So there's six in the programme. Sorry, I feel like a quiz master. I feel like a very malicious quiz master. I don't even know the answer to the questions myself. Closed book exam. Um, (laughs) Yes, I was right. There are six. There are six in her program, and we actually uh, there there were so many incredible works of film in there that we have programmed a seventh of Barbara's films in our act up our um our act of activist program of film. Okay. Oh, so you're sort of sneaking in. Yes, yes. we're sneaking ah, in another okay, Barbara yeah. Hammer film into another <laughs> program. So um that's probably one of the highlights for me this year and we're presenting that uh with Outburst Queer Arts Festival in Belfast and it'll be include an extended introduction from Ruth McCarthy and um, the director of that festival. And I actually I only uh found this out after I began curating the programme that uh, Barbara Hammer actually uh, attended Gaze 10 years ago um, with one of her short films and she was um, the special guest of the festival so it's amazing to come back and to actually have that sort of connection yeah yeah so I promise I'll stop to- talking about the no. rec program soon, but we're also but it, is, it is genuinely great, <laughs> yeah. our program. You, you guys have always managed to put on great things, but this year especially, you've, oh, you've you. really spread it and wow. Yeah, thanks. We're also screening um, uh, a f- the feature documentary, uh, Tongues Untied, from Marlon Riggs and um, one of his short films, Affirmations. So he m- might be one of the lesser known pioneers of the new... Um, new queer um, cinema movement of the early 90s and he's a fantastic filmmaker who, who unfortunately died of AIDS um, in the early 90s. So we're thrilled to be able to um, to showcase his work. And then the final retros- uh, retrospective screening we have is um, of Derek Jarman's first film, Sebastien, which we're screening this year for a very special reason. Okay. We didn't, well, it is the 25th anniversary of his death this year, but it's the 40th anniversary of the Hirschfield Centre in um, 
in Tababar, which was one of the fir- which was the first LGBT resource centre in Ireland, and I think it must have been one of the first in the world. In the world, yeah. and I did not know this. I don't know. You might have known this, Ronan, but there was a cinema in the attic, which yeah, was one of, of the first called the Hirschfield Biograph, yeah. which like it is bound to have been one of the first art house cinemas in Ireland. And I was very lucky to get to see some of the programmes of that cinema. From oh, the, so like the historical sort of. Okay. I tried doing a bit of looking around for this before, and I presume it's in like Tony Walsh's art. Yes, yeah, Tony Walsh yeah. gave it to me. And it is fascinating really? to look at. So to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Hirschfield, and in particular the biograph, we're screening, uh, we're doing a special screening of Sebastien. And we're hoping that people who remember the Hirschfield biograph will come along and share oh. their memories oh, in advance amazing. of the screening. Yeah. And Sebastian is great. Yes. It's so good. Yeah, it's nice. fantastic. So I rambled on a lot about the <laughs> rep program there. Um, do you want to hear a bit more about go the on, features? Go on, like <laughs> the new features. <laughs> Any features, any features. <laughs> um, we've a lot of world cinema. Well, we've a lot of world cinema every year, but um, this year I'm particularly excited about uh, the ground by the ground beneath my feet, which is um, an Austrian film which uh, screened at the Berlinale this year. Uh, Consequences, which is a fantastic film from Slovenia. Um, I, I I have to admit I've not seen a lot of films from Slovenia. Mm. And I caught this film at BFI Flair. And it really, I don't think that the director had envisioned this as an LGBT film. Okay. But it deals with LGBT subject matter and it's 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 a brutal, very harsh, but very important film. Mm-hmm. Uh, very violent that deals a lot with toxic masculinity. Okay. And um, it, it's, I would really recommend uh, going to see that. Okay. So that's another highlight for me. When is that on actually? That is... Actually, it's screening against the Irish Shorts program. So <laughs> make your choices. Cruel, cruel, cruel summer. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, we also have the new documentary um, called Organda from PJ Raval, who whose previous uh, feature documentary Before You Know It screened at Gaze uh, four years ago. Um, so it's always fantastic to be able to um, screen the work of alumni filmmaker and have, yeah. you know, bring uh, their work back to the fe- the festival every few years. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. There's just a lot that I, yeah, well, I'm yes, thrilled that we have. Understandably. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Um, we're also screening um, the uh, directorial, the narrative directorial debut from Andy Timoner, who you might know. She was the, she's the quite a, a well-known uh, documentarian. Her documentary Dig was, um, I think it's from maybe two thousand, the early two thousands, and it, I, uh, it screened to great acclaim at Sundance and it was about um, the Dandy Warhols and the J- Brian's Jonestown massacre and the Portland music scene okay. I'm not sure if you remember that it was fantastic she then made mm-hmm. a feature documentary about Russell Brand that would make Brand. sense with the title yeah, makes yes yeah. and um, so this is uh, she has just made her uh, her narrative debut uh, with Maplethorpe which oh which is yeah, the one starring Matt Smith yes as the Matt photographer Smith about so Robert Maplethorpe yeah. um, so that is um, our Saturday night offering at 8 either 8.15 or 8.30pm oh it's variable isn't yes, it <laughs> I go can't at 8.15 remember to be sure the, yeah. yes I'm going to or go to gay yeah. this is the atmosphere this is, yeah. yes this is the first one that I have to check the time of 8.30pm on Saturday <laughs> night in the Lighthouse Cinema but if you were there at 8.15 you get a good seat and you get to soak in yes. the atmosphere what I'd really recommend is go to see Maplethorpe <laughs> and then go to see our late night offering on Saturday night which is Knife and Heart oh, uh, which is 
amazing. It's a really campy, gory um, slasher flick set in um, the uh, set in the um, set in 1970s Paris in like a gay porn studio uh, starring Vanessa Paradis. Oh, that's all okay, I'll that's, say yeah. about it. I think that, that's, I think that's a sell there. Yeah. I think that that's the sell there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, very much looking forward to that one. And I think it's the perfect Saturday night. For, double bill. Yes. <laughs> perfect. And they're both on in the lighthouse? Both on oh, in the lighthouse. Right. So the majority of the program is in the lighthouse cinema. Yeah. With the, the, three the friend offerings. screening as well. Yes. Yeah. So the three offerings I mentioned earlier, Handsome Devil, Different from the Others, and My Beautiful Laundrette are screening yeah. in the Irish Film Institute. Perfect. The uh, the only program highlight that I would particular th- that we haven't already mentioned that I would particularly screech about to listeners and regular listeners may remember this. Uh, Jonathan Assey saved my life. Mm. The yes. Israeli documentary about uh, oh that was at Diff this year. Yes, yes, yes. it was. I yeah. went. I think I had seen six films that day, and I was like, that Do was I really want to go see this but Saturday said, night. Yeah, yes, I'll go I along to it. Late Saturday, Saturday night. night. Yes, you had a much. No, you'd have adored yeah. it. Absolutely adored uh-huh. it. It's a tremendous film. Uh, I would really, really hugely recommend this one. That was Um, the one where I believe you were telling stories about trying to Skype him from the Yeah, the director was there and tried to Skype Jonathan Agassi but couldn't get signal in the basement of the lighthouse. Oh, I hadn't realised that. Because he said that Jonathan Agassi was so thrilled to think that people would go on a Saturday night and go see his film, which is just really touching. It's such a tender portrait of kind of aspects of self-destruction uh, that happened to queer people and the uh, the sort of social pressures put upon them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, really got to me in a great way. And uh, it's one of my key picks out of this program. Thank you. But <laughs> there are plenty more I still have to see and I'm really looking forward to the weekend. So this is all kicking off two weeks from today, which mm-hmm. is the Thursday. August Bank Holiday Weekend. Yeah, which is a great way to, to watch as well. All right then. And you can find details obviously online at gaze.ie. That's it. G-A-Z-E dot I-E. Perfect. All right. So in terms of other news, we're going to cover very quickly. The Irish Independent Horror, The Perished, uh, is premiering at Fright Fest in London this August, which is written and directed by Paddy Murphy and produced by Brian Pahey and uh, Vakin Gill. Um, it's a dark social horror dealing with the reality of Irish women who have travelled the UK for abortions for generations and come home to face sort of uh, shame and stigma. So it seems like it's going to be a very interesting film. Um, and it certainly seems like an interesting angle. And it's kind of nice to see that level of sort of Irish kind of gritty horror sort of going international as well. Um in August, uh, George R. R. Martin will be visiting the IFI for a special screening of Forbidden Planet uh, on 35mm on August the August 17th. Um, it's happening as part of the Dublin Worldcon uh, as well. So the Diego Awards and stuff like that will be given out as well. So that's also worth checking out. Anyway, so let's move on to talk about the uh, top 10, everybody's favourite part of I the... I have uh, seen all 10 of these. No, <laughs> I have, I'm very excited about this. You know, I'm, I'm kind of... Yeah, I haven't know because I'm, because we missed last these? week. Because we missed last week, absolutely, it's all up for grabs. Ah, I mean, I, you know, great. I have no idea what is on this list. In fact, as I'm desperately trying to load it in front of me <laughs> and stalling frantically for time, <laughs> at number ten, it's Luc Besson's Anna which I'm quite surprised to have entered the charts at all. Um, but yeah, this is the one starring Helen Mirren, Luke Evans, Killian Murphy and Sasha Loss, uh, having earned a grand total of 20,000 euro at the box office. 
I have heard nothing about this film, perhaps understandably. I am fine with hearing um, nothing about Luc Besson. Mm-hmm. At number nine, uh, with a running total of 1.7 million euro at the Irish box office to date, Dexter Fletcher's Rocketman, which hasn't quite done Bohemian Rhapsody numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it'll place at the top of the charts. Mm-hmm. So when we do the, our end of year top 10, financially speaking, particularly with the year that's been with like Avengers Endgame and stuff like that, but still quite an impressive haul. Yeah, and it seems from pretty much all quarters to be getting reasonable reviews. It's that's not attracted yeah. the ire of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, it's it's... Uh, better than Bohemian Rhapsody, which it's is, a low it's, bar. Uh, you know, but you, you take the blessings where you can find them. <laughs> um, at number eight, not quite attracting the same level of sort of affection from certain critical quarters. And I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised you haven't seen this yet. It's the Queen's Corgi. Does that surprise you? It's a dog. It's adorable. I told you, I, I was really disappointed. You were away one on holidays. Dog, one dog I, movie a year is what that, I can That's manage. your quota. This Thank one, God we got a good one this we year. We did get a good one. This one doesn't have Dennis Quaid, or at least I believe it doesn't have Dennis Quaid, uh, hitching up his pants and saying, there's a lot you don't know about that dog. It's going to um, be in my year-end top ten. Let me tell you that now. It is your year-end top ten. This <laughs> <laughs> Ten screenings of it. But the, yeah, the Queen's Corgi, uh, which has attracted a certain amount of critical ire uh, from virtually everybody, uh, which kind makes me want to see it, if we're being entirely honest. At number seven, the superior uh, animated dog movie option. It's The Secret Lives of Pets 2, which has earned, again, 1.7 million euro at the Irish box office. Dogs do big business. Yeah. Um, I think that one deserves a pat in the head, because it stars pat and Oswald. Oh, fine. I'll allow it. Okay. At number six, it's not quite a whole new world, but it's Aladdin. 2.4 million at the Irish box office date, closing on a billion worldwide. I think it's over $900 million Jeez. worldwide. Yeah, you're going to keep seeing these Have movies. They two of their live action things in cinemas at the same time? Yes! Well, I mean, this is the uh. thing, this is the same cycle that you have with the uh, comic book movies and the adventure movies. Mm. Where, like, again, Disney, when they own Fox, will own 40% of the market, but you'll quite literally be waiting about two weeks. It'll be like a train. Yeah. You're waiting two weeks for the next release. So you have Endgame spaced ahead of Aladdin, you have Aladdin spaced ahead of, um, you know, don't remember what it was, but it's there was something, and then now, oh, Toy Story 4, and then you have Toy Story 4 spaced ahead of The Lion King. It's almost and like it's a bad idea for them to own everything. Almost. Who would have thought these things? Uh, did you learn them, nothing probably. from Monopoly? That gentleman with the monocle, he had a monocle. I mean, he knew, he knew what he was doing. At number five, uh, Midsummer. I'm going to get to this this weekend. I promise. You promise. You absolutely promise. promise. The flag got in the way of me having seen it, but... I can sense enthusiasm radiating from it. I have heard good things from various people, and I might love it. I liked Hereditary. I had a a night off last week, so I went to see this, because I have a night when I'm not going to see a film in the top ten. I figured I might as well go and see a film in the top ten. But yeah, Midsummer is grand. Uh, It's fine. It's the same thing that Hereditary was, where Hereditary is a loving homage to 70s horror cinema in the art house vein. The Don't Look Nows, the Rosemary's Babies. Mm-hmm. It's basically the posh version of a film that I suspect we're going to be talking about a bit higher up. Oh no, we're not actually. So it's a much nicer version of uh, Annabelle Comes Home, which is sort of like it's that's a, that's a sort of an homage to broader 70s horror in the sure. style of stuff like The Exorcist, to make an example. And it just, it kind of, it very much aims at that sort of demographic. And it my issue with Hereditary and my issue here is that there's nothing particularly new or insightful or innovative or clever being said. Yeah. It's just this perfect kind of facsimile. It's a dollhouse in the start of Hereditary. It's this perfectly immaculately reconstructed, nostalgic, sort of like a cinephilic sort of recreation of what, you know, good cinema in inverted commas looks like when it comes to horror. 
but there's nothing that jumps up and down or feels particularly kind of important to say. Like the, yeah. the movie's big takeaway is that sometimes families aren't healthy. And it's like, I feel like I don't need two and a half hours for you to tell me this. And a Wicker Man homage. That said, I will say that uh, Jack Rayner does bear all. Though not quite as I would have expected. At number four, Westlife, the 20 tour live. Jesus. Really? In cinemas for one weekend only. Well, yeah, they, they sold that. Was it Crow Park? Twice, I believe. Yeah. Um, this is a, this is again another moment where Darren feels old. My younger sister is working for an event company, and mm. they they sort of they they work at these uh, sort of events, yeah. and they have a little rota down, and people put down what they want to attend and what they want to work at. Because if you go to the concert, you get to listen to them. And we got a you know, and she had signed up for Westlife, and she was very excited. She was going to go to Westlife. Then you know, got a text message from her relating that there had been a cancellation, unfortunately, and they had to shift the dates around. And who the fuck are the Eagles? <laughs> Um, was the content of the text message in question. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, that does make me feel a little old. But yeah, Westlife. Um, We're not too far off who the fuck are Westlife. We, there are probably kids who said that on seeing the poster. You say that, but you know that, um, what is it? Uh, one of their songs at 20 in the Irish charts at the moment. Yeah. When you're looking like that, is that number 20 in the Irish pop no. charts at the it's moment? It's a banger. Yeah, It, it is. is a banger. Um, but again, 20 in the Irish pop charts yeah, in impressive. 2019 quite impressive. I feel like we may have underestimated Westlife, which is probably the first time I've uttered those words. <laughs> uh, I come from Sligo. I'm allowed to say that. Um, at number three, I haven't seen this yet yesterday. Has Jay seen this yet? Jay has not seen this. I believe he's, he may actually be attending this as we speak. Yeah, uh, yeah yesterday. The Richard Curtis uh, Beatles movie romance film, which is apparently fine. Is it? Ah, it's a I Richard Curtis movie. Is. Exactly, so it's probably not fine. Oh, hey, okay. I feel like Be- fine is such an awful way to describe it. <laughs> it's adequate. Fine. Oh, thank it's, you. Jay and I say this to him every week. Adequate. Well, I mean, I, I no, haven't it's seen just, this. It's just, you know... Fine or grand, like, all of that's like, oh, no. That's Darren being nice. I haven't seen the movie. I can't possibly judge the movie. <laughs> I'm just going off what I've heard. And I what I've heard. Can... I can judge it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I've heard, you know, it's it's a very Richard Courtesy premise um, mm-hmm. with added Ed Sheeran, which may improve or disimprove it depending on your taste. Very, yeah. Again, how it might in, be great in a world where the Beatles don't exist. How does Ed Sheeran exist? I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to think about it. At number two, um, having earned three point three million euro at the Irish box office today, which is quite an impressive haul for a film that was deemed to have underperformed on its opening weekend. Toy Story Four. Uh-huh. Was yeah. it deemed to have underperformed? Yes, it had underperformed relative to Toy Story 3 and relative to Disney's expectations. Wasn't Toy Story 3 like a box office ten, a yeah. top 10 of all time? Yeah. When it... yeah. The highest grossing G-rated movie of all time, I believe. Mm. And Toy Story 4 is on track to be the second highest grossing G-rated movie of all time. Uh, I mean, you know, being honest, I think they should just take all... Everybody who was involved in that film and just fire them immediately because they're clearly failures and disappointments on a level. Please don't do that. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's done relatively well 3.3 million that's pretty incredible um and you can tell that this year this week they're moving over to make room for the next big thing that's arriving so almost again right on right on cue yeah. like a like a time like a train timetable you know um but hey it's a shame i actually really like toy story 4 it rocketed into my top 10 films of the year i've seen it twice i actually cried well the second Dude. time which is yeah i know i am like a rock and um, Niall absolutely loved it too i believe yeah so probably one worth seeing at number one um, Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Which is 
fine. Um, no, it, it is actually fine. It's got, you know, it's, it's, it's got lots of good stuff. It's got lots of bad stuff. It doesn't necessarily execute the good stuff as well as it might, but it insulates against the worst of the worst impulses that it has. And it averages out to somewhere around good. Um, there's a lot of clever ideas. Which is better than fine. Which is better than fine. You know, but I mean, the, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of clever ideas in there. It's, it's interesting in that it's, Seems to be we've reached the point, and it makes sense when you're living in a world where, you know, Avengers Endgame has a serious chance of being the biggest movie of all time Mm -hmm. with a re-release or two down the road. Um, But, like, we've reached the point where these movies are about nothing more than themselves. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having this movie, which is largely about how the intellectual property known as Spider-Man, which was sold to Sony, has now been folded back into the Disney corporate empire as part of a business merger. And Sony really don't want that to happen. But damn it, he's remaking the Avengers because that's going to make us a billion dollars worldwide, whether he wants to or not. And it's kind of weird seeing a movie that dramatizes that in a very literal sense, right to the point where the climax of the film features the supervillain in a literal green screen suit, taking notes on rewrites from a writer tucked on the corner of the I set. I can't deal with this level of self-referential. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much. Gyllenhaal is, is fantastic and having the time of his life in there as well. And the kids, the kids are adorable as well, which kind of helps. It helps sort of sell it it isn't I don't know I kind of I like the John Hughes-ness of the, the first one a bit um, and it feels like that got a little bit lost anyway so let's move on to the new releases so what's coming out this week and oh this... nothing much oh I wonder it's nothing at all nothing you're excited about uh, nothing you guys have possibly seen nothing I'm going to see for the second time in a week Well, I, gets here I know you're very excited about the re-release of Lion King but let's talk about Agnes Varda first indeed yeah her final film Varda Paranias comes out in the IFI tomorrow and I'm not sure if it's anywhere else in the country yet uh, Triscoll will have it in a couple of weeks I'm sure there are other kind of uh, art house arenas around the country that will get it everywhere should have it because it's fabulous it's my third favourite film of the year so far and as somebody who's been on a journey from the last two years of sort of uncovering absolutely everything of hers I can, and this might be the 30th film of hers I've seen. Nice. It is deeply... The total is 50-something. She's done 50, I think, yeah, 55 or so. Um, uh, it's incredibly moving to see her unpacking her own career. There were some sort of slightly sniffy reviews out of Berlin, people saying, oh, it's just a filmed presentation she gave at a university. And it's kind of structured in that sense. It's like, what would it be like to be in, you know an audience with Agnes Verda. Uh, but it's so much more than that because she's got this cheeky editorial style that has the ability to uh, get an entire cinema laughing uncontrollably and also to just knock you out. There's an astonishing cut at one point where she talks about, and it's incredible for somebody who's had such a long, impactful career, where she talks about worrying that she's not made an impact. Um, and she suddenly cuts to her sitting in an empty cinema and <laughs> in the context of her having yeah. made this knowing it would be her last film and her having you know left us in the last couple of months it just reduced me to a puddle at that oh. moment uh, and there you know there are plenty of moments like that throughout the film and even bits where she just shows clips from her old films and the, the incredible um, close-up stuff in uh, Jacques de Nantes where she's got the, the close-ups of Jacques Demy and all that stuff just the collective weight of her entire career bears, bears down on you in this film and it undid me and it I, will undo me again this weekend. I missed Galway in large part because I was in London, but I popped into the BFI and they were very, very heavily selling this, which is quite reasonable. Really, really good to see. Um, lots of advertising there. But Roshin, you also saw it as well, did you? I didn't. You I didn't. haven't seen ah, it yet. Okay. And if I wasn't Sorry. planning on seeing it this weekend anyway, that was <laughs> that, that review just sold me. It's uh, it's really, really incredible. Uh, I can't wait to see it again. It's um. It's just like for for Verda, who's become known in the last 20 years or so Mm -hmm. for being incredibly sort of canny and self-reflective about her own position in 
well, outside of the canon, actually, not within a canon, because she was always excluded, absurdly. Um, it's it's that condensed in the most beautiful way. I loved it so much. And we will be talking about it plenty more next I week when Jay is back. So. <laughs> I'm going to top the top ten, obviously. I've yeah. never sat in a cinema holding Jay's Aww. hand crying before. <laughs> we didn't go that far, but <laughs> it wasn't far um, Also out this week, Tell It to the Bees, uh, which is directed by Annabelle Jankel, uh, released by Vertigo Releasing. In 1950s small town Britain, a doctor develops a relationship with her young patient's mother, starring Anna Paquin and Holiday Granger as well. I haven't seen this. Uh, it's an, adapt- an adaptation of Fiona Shaw's novel as well, so that's probably worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Um, Prisoners of the Moon. Moon gets a release this week in Ireland. Uh, did you catch that at the film festival? I, did not. I think a couple of us did. Okay, so we just happened to have missed the the couple of us. That, I believe it's Jay might have seen this. I know Niall has seen this. This was screened at the Dublin International Film okay. Festival as well. Apparently, it was quite interesting. In um, a bad way. Quite interesting. <laughs> I think that it's probably best to let the people who've seen it speak to it um, in that <laughs> sense. Uh, but yes, it's directed by Johnny Grogan, uh, written by himself mm-hmm. and Nick Snow. Uh, it's about Arthur Rudolph, a central figure in the first moon landing, who was involved in war crimes involving the death of 20,000 slave laborers during World War II. Oh my. Yes. Heavy. Yes, very, very heavy. So I've heard the presentation is interesting and ambitious. Um, those are the words that have been used uh, oh, to yeah. describe this. Um, Gwen is also out this weekend. I was actually tried to get a hold of this, tried to see this uh, beforehand. But this is a folk story set in the Dark Hills of Wales during the Industrial Revolution, uh, starring Maxine Peakes, Eleanor Worthing Cox, Mark Lewis Jones, and Richard Harrington. Um, so a good ghost story. I'm kind of looking forward to that if I get a chance to. Um, Oh, and also out this week, Pavarotti. Ron Howard's Pavarotti. I feel like that's been out for weeks. Uh, no, the, We've they, been talking about it for weeks. <laughs> it's been looming large. Uh, no, they had a special screening last weekend oh, on the okay. 13th, um, which, you know, I'm you know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, if you hadn't have been at the film festival, you, you would have been rushing yeah, to see. Yeah. I would run into Ron Howard's arms anytime. Yeah, and just sort of embrace the big, cuddly, uh, horny Santa Claus that is Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> Santa um, Claus, what are you doing to me? The, it's an interesting film. It's an interesting documentary. It's very much a Ron Howard documentary in that it serves in large part as an ode to technical competence. Um, it is primarily... No, no, I'm, I'm being serious here. Like, again, with Howard gets... And particularly on this podcast, Howard gets a bit of a bum rap. In well, terms that of was being, a bit of a bum rap for him. No, it's <laughs> it's not a low-key takedown. There's a lot to technical competence. There's a lot to be said for technical competence. When we live in this day and age, we watch, you know... I mean, That's having true. ambled through the top ten, I would love technical competence in a lot of cases. But Howard is again he has this reputation as a very journeyman director but a guy who gets a script delivers exactly what the script promises and doesn't get in his own way while doing it in a way that is reliable and has turned him into the seventh highest grossing director in US box office history which is quite an accomplishment God you would yeah. never guess that Right above Christopher Nolan oh. right below Robert Zemeckis uh, which Damn. is quite an impressive haul um, and again he's worked steadily and consistently through that and one the you know Ron Howard the anti-auteur is the question can you determine or put together like a cohesive singular theory of who Ron Howard is um, or does he just disappear into what he does and I would argue the closest you can probably get and this doesn't encompass things like Splash unfortunately but is this idea that Howard has that he keeps coming back to of what it's like to actually do a job um, Howard is very interested in people who do their jobs relatively well to a degree of competence and skill and you can see that for example in like Frost Nixon which largely hinges on well 
is his you know is David Frost ever going to actually do his job or Rush where it's like well hey you've got this like super hot sexy jock but we've also got this anti-social German guy who like measures the distance between his wheels and which of these two is Ron Howard most interested in I'll give you a hint it's not the jock uh, but also even things like Apollo 13 which is a movie that's largely dedicated to watching extremely competent people being extremely competent in a high ten in a, you know high tension scenario and so, don't forget the Grinch. Which is, again, he's very efficient about what he does. I mean, he gets in, he gets out, he's got all the presents. I mean, this is a unified theory of Ron Howard I'm pitching here, ladies and gentlemen. It's working for me. Um, but yeah, and, and there's a sense in which Luciana Pavarotti or Pavarotti exists within that context, sure. where Howard is much more interested. And again, there's a really nerdy, affectionate aspect in there about like the question of how he sings his notes, how he hits the notes, how difficult it was for him to hit the notes. There's a lot of Placido Domingo talking about the voice as a woman that you must romance, um, and how you have to be tender and sweet. And there's also like people like his tour manager talking about how difficult it was to logistically move his suitcases around so that all of the equipment was where he needed it when he needed it and things like that. And all that stuff is very, very fascinating. There's even like Bono talking about how Pavarotti would like enlist him to sing at his charity singles through emotional arm wrestling is how Bono described it, where Pavarotti would like ring up Bono and say, have you started working on that single that you promised you'd work on, you know, that you promised you'd think about? And Bono's like, actually, I'm in the studio now is a very bad time, Luciana. He's like, oh, don't worry, I'm already on the way. Bono is in Dublin, by the way, when this is happening. Pavarotti arrives in a bus with a load of cameras filming him as well to meet, greet Bono downstairs and say, this is Bono. He's working on a new charity single to raise money for the children of Sarajevo. And Bono's like, Yes, I am. Um, Bono, and he, like, he talks, and you could actually watch the, the, the interview footage with Bono, and it's fantastic. It's like, uh, Bono's like, and, uh, yeah, so it's a new single we're working on, and we're, uh, we're hoping to, and then there's a pause and a glance sideways at Pavarotti, who's sitting beside him, and a moment to recollect his thoughts, like, we will be premiering it at the Pavarotti and Friends, uh, concert in three months' time. Uh, which is great. It's amazing Ooh. to see. The film is very, very interesting. This idea of Pavarotti as a man who got stuff, who got stuff done and committed to what he was doing. The only catch is. It's a lot less interest in Pavarotti as a man, as a human being, and in particular in terms of sketching him out. The film tends to gloss over things like the affairs and his marriages and stuff like that, and the personal side of him, and how he, you know, what inspired him and that sort of stuff. There's a bit of armchair psychology at the end, but it's kind of crammed in there because you can tell somebody looked at the edit and was like, we need something about mm -hmm. actual Luciano in here. Sure. Um, and you can tell that Howard's a lot less interested in that. And therefore, that is why I described him as Horny Santa Claus, which is basically the movie's big takeaway about Luciana Pavarotti as a person. Um, it's a loving ode full of people who adore him and who speak incredibly fondly of him, even people who you'd be kind of interested to pick at and to sort of explore and to see, like, what, you know, whether or not there was depth to that relationship mm -hmm. there. Film doesn't necessarily pry under, under the cover. It just kind of just lays out pretty much the Pavarotti story as you would expect, uh, which is a very Ron Howard way of doing it, I would argue. And then finally, the big release of the week is The Lion King, which is probably, and again, this is a very strange comparison to make for a an adaptation of a 1994 animated children's classic, but it reminded me a lot of Gus Van Sant's 1999 Psycho. Um, it feels more like an art house exhibition than a blockbuster film, although it will be a blockbuster film and it will break all of the records and take in all the money. But it feels very much like a conceptual experiment, which is you take a script, you take 
shots, you take lines, and you recontextualize those from one type of filmmaking, in particular like Alfred Hitchcock's black and white sort of psycho in 1960, Mm -hmm. and transpose it into another setting with like different actors, different performers, and different constraints, which is what Vincent did in 1999 when he took Psycho and remade it with, you know, one additional scene of Vince Vaughn masturbating and absolutely everything else perfectly identical to how it was, you know, that time around and leading to an uncanny, almost like mannequin-esque effect. Favreau does something similar here. This is completely animated, but it's completely photorealistically animated, which is very disconcerting in large part because large part of the appeal of animated figures like lions and anthropomorphized animals is that you have the movement of the eye, the movement of the mouth. And so they take on these larger than life, like human emotional sort of personality traits and stuff like that. When you're watching a lion with, and again, lions are very majestic, adorable animals. But when you look into their cold, beady eyes, uh, you don't (laughs) quite get the same level of expression going on there. And you also means that they don't have the same range of movements, famously stuff like um, Be Prepared has been completely changed. So it's no longer the Lenny Reifenstahl-esque triumph of the will tribute act that it was in 1994 and instead consists of a lion jumping from one rock to another because that's the most you can accomplish with a photorealistic animal. Uh, and it sort of has that level of modest charm going in there as well. Interesting enough, it, it and again, you can really tell this uh, with... And we talked about this when we talked about Aladdin and we talked about when we talked about Beating the Beast last year or sorry, the year before. One of the things that you can really examine these movies through is the additional 40 minutes that they add because they're contractually obliged to add 40 minutes because real movies are two hours long and these animated films are 80, 80 minutes long. So you add the 40 minutes in and then you have a real movie in inverted commas. And what the writers, directors and, and producers look at these animated films and deem to be missing and what they add to them. And with Beauty and the Beast, you saw them look at it and he, like to, to, like Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin have been relatively harsh on. You know, I think that they're not the worst things in the world, but I also think that there are some serious errors in judgment there. Most of all, the attempt to adapt so literally from one medium to another. But like with Beauty and the Beast, it was like they looked at it and they looked at Belle and they were like, well, where's her mother? So they added this whole subplot about Belle traveling through time to meet her mother in old Paris or to visit her mother's sort of like the scene of her mother's death in Paris. I'm never is, sure if you're making these things No, up. no, this exactly <laughs> happened. It's a very strange choice, but it's there and it adds an extra 40 minutes of plot to the movie. Mm. Similarly with Aladdin they looked and Aladdin makes a much better choice to be fair. Aladdin looks at the animated film and determines what we have is we have massively underdeveloped characters. Jasmine doesn't have a character arc to pick an example of the animated Aladdin. Jafar has no sense of motivation or character so the 40 minutes the film adds are designed to bulk those characters up. Jasmine in particular gets an I want song um, to give her sort of motivation so that it doesn't work uh, because like the 80 minutes that the original runtime was were so perfect and so tight that you can't just like inject plot into the mm-hmm. empty spaces between scenes and hope that it fits together but you can see at least what they're going for the issue with the Lion King um, is that what they seem to be doing and this is kind of this is again like Psycho an amazing art house experiment a not entirely satisfying cinematic experience What they try to do is to add 40 minutes to the movie that you loved as a kid that is made almost shot for shot. Um, But without you realizing where those 40 minutes are, they don't add plot or character. What they do instead is they add lots of scenes of characters walking between scenes that you know from the animated film. So, for example, to pick one one easy example, like there's a scene in the animated film where Simba wakes up uh, Mufasa and it's like, you know, before 8 a.m., he's your son. And then they go and they go to the top Pride Rock and he's like, everything the light touches Simba is your kingdom. That, that iconic sequence, right? In the animated film, that takes a total of, you know, between those two lines is about 30 seconds. In this, it's about two minutes because you get a sequence of Mufasa walking 
through the Pride Lands and climbing up on top of Pride Rock in order to do that. Sounds like we've decided to start taking inspiration from Gus Van Sant's Jerry now as well. <laughs> Similarly, like, I mean, like the original, um, the original Lion King includes two lines of the lion sleeps tonight as a sly joke. And also because the rights were a nightmare. Guess what the, uh, guess what the new version of Lion King does? It expands it into a full-blown musical number featuring Chance the Rapper with the same opening and end beat as well. I'm so yeah. glad you go to these things and I don't have to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so no, it, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. I mean, again, people will like it. And there's nothing wrong with people like it. It's very nostalgic. It'll scratch that itch. But I mean, I can't see a situation where I would want to watch this and not just watch the 1994 mm-hmm. original instead, uh, which I have rewatched recently and, and still holds up. Um, but anyway, so that about wraps it up, I think. Uh, we'll be back next week. But if people are looking for a bit more rushing, a bit more uh, Ronin in their lives, where can they find you guys? Uh, on Twitter at Baron Ronan and stay tuned as going on for fly pieces and Ooh. in a couple of weeks gaze pieces you'll be flowed on it I will indeed <laughs> um, I am on Twitter at Roisin Garrity R-O-I-S-I-N G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y I have to admit I don't use Twitter enough <laughs> but um, I intend on getting better <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to do it pressure and if people are looking for gaze as well it's gaze.ie and it's also on Twitter as well is it? Uh, gaze uh, is yeah also on Twitter gaze film fest and you find us on Facebook also perfect you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney I host another podcast called The 250 where this week I will be discussing The Lion King of all things the 1994 Disney original with the great Phil Bagnall uh, and Graham uh, yeah Graham Day will be joining us as well um, so it's quite that's an eclectic there may or may not be singing involved. We may or may not have cleared the rights for the Lion Seeds tonight. You'll have to listen and find out. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye.